Hello, and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me, my co-host, with the Mohos. <laughs> How's it going, Darcy? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just realized, you know how sometimes, like, you'll say hello, and I'll be like, hello, because I don't realize you're doing yeah. the intro. I realize it's because sometimes you pause in between, like, hello, and welcome to the, sometimes you, like, go right into it, and sometimes you pause, and I think, like, in that pause, I'm like, Oh, should I say something? Like, I think that's what happens. I just realized that when you were doing your intro. I like to keep you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep you guessing. <laughs> All right. Um, we're not going to really talk about any side cases or anything today. Um, we're going to keep this episode short and sweet. Um, kind of test out the format for that because some people have said they don't like it when we talk on the intro and some people say they like it. We're going to test this one out and see if the ratings on this one are any different. Um, In any case, I'm going to talk about the Angels Landing Commune. Oh, no. Have you heard about this place? Okay. No, I've not. Yeah, that's a good one. You're going to like this. Um, Yeah. This is, um, the whole thing took place north of Wichita, Kansas. Well, most of it, but there are multiple locations that this happened, but... This is a small community of homes between corn and wheat fields. um, And in this little location sits Angel's Landing. And it's a small little religious compound. It's about 20 acres, the plot of land is. And Sarah and Emily are occupants of this little commune. Mm -hmm. The two had grown up near Kansas City, Missouri with a normal childhood. And their dad was a builder and their mom was a realtor. Um, Despite seven years difference between these two sisters they were pretty close but a divorce changed things in 2001 okay and at that time sarah and emily's mom met a man named lou castro now he was charismatic and friendly and outgoing i was gonna say that's what they say about all see where this is going (laughs) (laughs) right Uh, And he claims to be this wealthy sort of um, property-owning guy who's looking to invest, and he wants to create a religious Um, commune. Okay. Okay. So Jennifer, who's the mom to Sarah and Emily, helps Lou Castro find a plot of land for his religious commune. Because she's a realtor. Yes. And in the meantime, though, she finds him this property and starts developing a relationship with him. Uh Uh-huh. She just recently gone through this divorce and she's like, okay, I'm ready to move on. This guy is charming. He's the best. I'm going to get into this with him, which, you know, cult leaders have that Mm -hmm. sparkly eyed charm, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So Emily, Sarah, and Jennifer follow Lou to this farm near Wichita that's dubbed Angel's Landing. This is by Lou. He's like, this is Angel's Landing, our new commune. Welcome, everyone. Multiple houses, a pool, an ATV track, and lots of other fun things start popping up while the occupants of this little paradise party heavily. Lou is buying them cars, toys, ATVs, planes, cars with vanity plates, and lots of luxury items. This guy clearly has a lot of dough. From what? Just wait. I feel like we're about to find that out. (laughs) We'll get there. 
<laughs> but it's like you don't necessarily think of religious communes having tons of money. No. And again, remember the one that we talked about for the poisoning case, the biohazard yeah. poisoning case? They had a lot of money there too. Yeah. And the guy that the Rasha Sheesh that was running it had a lot of money. Yeah. And they had Rolls Royces and they had a you know, because they were getting all of the commune members to give them right. all of their money and and they had a, a worldwide thing going on with that. And so they were very, they had created a lot of wealth for that. But there's yeah. no indication that that is necessarily the type of thing that is going on here. Okay. Even so, the spending, the spending is extravagant. And then June 2003, Trish, one of the commune's occupants, is found floating in the pool face down uh, in the commune. Okay. Okay. So Trish Hughes, this woman that had been found dead, had been a homemaker. She cooked. She kept things clean. And she watched the kids on the commune. Okay. So I get the sense from listening to this that it was not a very big commune. It sounded like there were maybe three or four families rather than just hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of people. Um, evidently, Trish had tried to rescue one of the children after it had fallen into the pool mm. while they were cleaning it. And she had slipped fell and hit her head. Oh, so gosh. there are indications that the clip that she had in the back of her head was broken. And Emily, one of the young girls that I just mentioned earlier, had saved the baby, but she was unable to pull Trish Ugh. out of the pool because Emily was still a child at that point. Yeah. So she was able to kind of grab this small child because right. she was light enough to be pulled out, but she couldn't pull Trish out. Ugh. So police and the EMTs arrive, but it's too late. Trish has drowned and the death is ruled an accident. Um, this 26-year-old commune member. I mean, just really, really tragic, right? Yeah. Gradually, though, the group moved on, despite the grief. Um, but this wasn't the only casualty on the commune. It rarely is. So this 15-year-old boy named Cody recalls that his mother, Mona, and his sister, Lindsay, had vanished from another community in South Dakota in 2001. So... This is some interesting little details. I guess there had been another Angel's Landing up in South Dakota before this time. And Cody's mother and sister were there? Yes. So evidently Mona, her okay. boyfriend, and her daughter, Lindsay, had attempted to make a trip in a small plane, and the plane disappeared, never reaching its destination. Um, okay. Lou was one of her best friends and the leader of the commune that she was a part of. He helped search for the plane and comfort the family when it disappeared earlier, a few years earlier than this death from Trish, right? Six weeks, six weeks later, the wreckage was found and there were no survivors. Uh -huh. Okay. Lou, a former plane mechanic. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Comforted the family and Cody. Um, the investigation to the plane crash found that there were no mechanical problems. And it was believed to be weather that created the accident. And they're up in South Dakota, okay. which they can have some pretty yeah. severe weather up there. Yeah. So I, I don't think anybody was suspicious in 2001 when that initial accident happened. Sure. But when this second death happens on the commune in 2003, there's police are starting to kind of look at this in a way where, hey, we have to consider, is this a pattern? What's going on here? In the meantime, mm -hmm. though, like Lou is comforting everyone and he calls Mona his sister. Okay. And he puts out an obituary for her in the newspaper and calls her his sister. And police and family members and everybody are like, what is going on here? Like, this guy is yeah. not 
our, our, our sibling? Why is he calling himself related to her? And he also oh. determined where Mona and Lindsay would be buried. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. Like, number one, you're not a family member. We are the family. Yeah. We should be able to decide where this body is placed and ultimately ends up. Um, in the meantime, though, authorities noticing the death of Trish and then finding out the connection to the previous death of Mona and then looking at the extravagant nature of what's going on on this commune are like, something is not right here. And they're starting to take notice. Um, and then in late 2003, Brian, the husband of Trish, a mechanic, uh-huh. he's the husband of the woman who drowned in the pool of the commune, also ends up what? dead in 2006. <gasps> he was crushed in an accident. Oh. So like he'd been working on a car and oh it God. had fallen on him and crushed him. And... As all this is going on, all of these cars and extravagant purchases are turning up on the commune. In fact, this Lou Castro guy spent over $1.5 million in cars and toys in a matter of years. And police are like, what the, how the hell is this going on? Just wait and find out. Um, Lou was also donating money to the police and inviting officers to these lavish parties at the commune. Oh, okay. Police were narrowing in on Lou Castro, though, because mm-hmm. of his spending habits and because of these suspicious deaths that are just happening. This is at mm-hmm. that point, it was Mona, her boyfriend, her child, Lindsay, Trish and Brian. There's right. five people dead around this guy. Like he is yeah. either incredibly unlucky or something's going on here. Right. Yeah. Um, all where is all the money coming from? Yeah. And why are people dying around him? So they kind of put his name into the criminal database that's the search for that the federal database and they find uh-huh. nothing no credit records no driver's license nothing so he like doesn't exist this guy so clearly lou castro is yeah he's a yeah. ghost he does not exist either that or he's using somebody else's name right yeah in 2007 investigators look into lou castro and they can't find anything they're like doing a deep dive onto the search for this guy and they're finding nothing all they could see was that there were these multiple deaths with his name. And he, that's the only reason his name popped up, because he was in, around in this commune when these right. deaths occurred. Police looked for days and days to try to find something incriminating. There's no drugs. There's nothing. They're looking through his garbage. They're, like, doing a, an extensive search for him to try yeah. to find out, like, who is this guy? And why is all this crazy stuff happening yeah. around him? So they're surveying this guy, and they're searching through his trash trying to find fingerprints. So they can run his fingerprints yeah. in the system, right? And see if he has a criminal background. And this is really, really hard. Luke Castro avoids all of their efforts. The FBI actually um, tried going to his house and giving him some pictures, saying that there had been some robberies of cars and theft of cars in the area mm-hmm. and asking if he recognized any of the cars. So they created these kind of glossy pictures and brought mm-hmm. them to him, hoping he would kind of pick one up and, and leave his print on the picture. And even then, he like took it by the tips of his nails and like wouldn't touch anything to the prints. So clearly so, like, like he's like, onto their game. Yeah. He's not yeah. giving any information to them and he's just like, yeah. Um, he'd also put all of the cars and all of the wealth, all of the property, everything on the commune had been put in other commune members' names. Nothing was mm-hmm. in his name. Again, highly suspicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2008, Emily and Sarah find out that their mom's car had swerved into oncoming traffic. 
<gasps> she hit a gravel truck head on and died instantly. Oh my God. So that's six people around this Lou Castro guy. And the crash was ruled an accident by the authorities. That's six people dead in eight years from the yeah. Angels Landing communes. Even more interesting, it seems like every about every two and a half years, there's some sort of an accident by mysterious circumstances. Mm-hmm. And in 2009, Luke Castro picks up the commune again and decides they're going to move to Tennessee. Police believe that Lou, at that point, the police believe that Lou was linked to these six deaths, but they don't have mm-hmm. any evidence. Because they're all mechanical in some way. Yeah. And they're looking into anyone in the commune that may be able to give them some information. In the meantime, though, Emily, who's the youngest of these two sisters, Sarah decides she's not going to go to Tennessee. That she's, okay. she's an adult at that point. Emily is about to start college. She wants to go to Vanderbilt. That's her college mm-hmm. of choice. And Lou convinces her that, hey, you've got to come along. We're moving to Tennessee for you so that you can be close to Vanderbilt. This is mm-hmm. all for you. You're a sweet, precious baby angel. We understand your mom died. We're trying to do this for you to make life easier for you. And Ang- Lou is super pissed that Sarah isn't going to come. Right. One of the two sisters. And they have an angry confrontation. And in the meantime, the commune picks up and moves. Sarah meets a man named Daniel and falls in love. And now that she is away from the Angels Landing commune, she starts to tell some very, very dark secrets. Yeah. In the meantime, Daniel, this poor guy from the outside, is horrified. He's hearing these stories that he does not believe could possibly be happening and he wants to help but he's like what the heck am i supposed to do this is some crazy stuff so he thinks about it for a while and really kind of i think molds it over in his head like how do you have a conversation with the authorities without betraying the person that you love and care about but at the Mm -hmm. same time you realize there there could be some potentially very scary stuff going on that you have an obligation to help authorities end Right? Yeah. So he writes a letter to the FBI or an email providing a good portion of the information that he knows about Angel's Landing. So by December 2009, police and the FBI get the email from Daniel, and Sarah's new beau is like giving the tips that is, mm-hmm. they're working off of. And Daniel secretly goes in for questioning. He doesn't tell Sarah that he's doing this, but he's telling them about this commune. And in the meantime, this commune had moved to Columbia, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and Daniel is very carefully IDing Angels Landing cult members. So, like, give, they're, they're showing pictures because they had pictures mm-hmm. of the commune members, and he's giving names and information about those members that Sarah had provided to him. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, though, in Tennessee, Lou and the other commune members are being secretly watched by the FBI. Mm-hmm. They've come into this. And the cult leader now wanted to be called Joe instead of Lou. Interesting. So his name suddenly becomes Joe Venegas. Lou Castro's Venegas? gone. Venegas. All right. No longer Lou Castro. Only sure. call me Joe Venegas from now on to everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Got it. I have no questions. This name is carefully recorded by the FBI. And then they watch as Lou goes into a bank. And tries to open an account under the name Joe Venegas. This is a federal crime. Yeah. So they're able to snatch him because this is identity fraud. They know for a fact he's not Joe Venegas. He's right. Lou Castro. So they snatch him. I mean, they don't think he's Lou Castro, but they're like, hey, the fact that he's going into this bank and saying he's somebody that he 
clearly is not. And there's no indication of a legal name change. Yeah. Like, there's not that, that, yeah. none of that. And he's told them that he's Luke. He's told the authorities yeah. that he's Luke Castro. So this yeah. is then an identity fraud. And they arrest him. Um, and then they search his property. And authorities find papers, computers, weapons, but nothing super obvious. Lou Castro maintains that he is Joe Venegas. He, like, he gets questioned extensively. And they're like, tell us it, you're lying. You're Lou Castro. And he's, no, 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 I'm Joe Venegas. He's sticking with his story. He ends up having to give them fingerprints at this point. Yeah. But they still don't show anything in any of the federal databases. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, under either Lou Castro or Joe Venegas. Um, and after six hours of interrogation, he's not giving anything up. He pleads guilty to identity fraud and is sentenced to two years in federal prison. So he does his time and is like, I'm good. Yeah. With him behind bars, though, police began digging into the family even more and questioning anyone involved with the commune as well as their families. So they're like looping out and getting commune mm -hmm. members and then anyone who knows the commune members to try to get some information and some details on this because this is just not making sense to them. And they start looking at Trisha Hughes, this family, uh, this member of the commune that had drowned in the pool. Mm -hmm. And they find that she'd been involved with someone. They go back and they talk to her family and her family's like, oh yeah, we remember. She was involved with this guy named Daniel Perez. Okay. They check that name and they get criminal records and mugshots. And lo and behold, it's Lou Castro. Lou Castro. Yeah, it's Lou Castro slash Joe Venegas. He's been convicted of two sex crimes in the 90s, and the cases were dismissed because authorities thought he had died. Which, this makes no sense to me. Wow. So he disappeared, and the authorities are like, oh, well, he died. Well, can't do anything about it now. They've got no obituary. They've got no death records, no nothing. But he just disappeared Wow. off the face of the planet. No longer use that name, nothing. Instead, he's using Lou Castro, right, and Joe Venegas. And they just say, oh, he died. Case dismissed unbelievable right and the police are starting to dig a little bit more and they start to talk to sarah and emily again and sarah and emily decide they're going to cooperate with authorities and give them more information mm -hmm. and this is when everything starts to come out it all started in 2001 when emily and sarah's mom announced that her new boyfriend lou was hundreds of years old and could see the future oh i'm sorry what's happening <laughs> i know as soon as I said that, I, I, was, I was writing it out the first time. I was like, oh, man, Darcy's going <laughs> to blow her mind. So he's basically <laughs> telling them that he's a supernatural being, like some kind of an angel. He's uh -huh. hundreds of years old. Obviously. He's not a mere human. Um, and he can see the future. They, he calls himself a seer. Uh. Okay. Um, their mom eats all of it up. <laughs> She's like, oh, you are? Well, my goodness, we have to stay Can close you to you. Can you imagine your mom telling you that and just being like, uh, so I you guys get it, right? I think I would flip out. Um, oh, yeah. I think that they were religious. Um, and I think that it's sometimes easy to convince people that are religious minded in some of the same things that they believe in, that it's real. And I think he was very persuasive. And Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but like, that's not... I want to use my words carefully here. Like, that's not, like, the standard everyday religious that we have in America. That's, like, another level beyond. Where, like, you yeah. think you can, like, literally that's hear. That's Lori Vallow. 
beyond. I, I was going to say, <laughs> Lori Vallow extra. Vallow. <laughs> yeah. That's like, what this that, case this reminded like, me of. I can actually hear the voice of God. Like This is like Chad Daybell, level. Lori Vallow yeah. kind of stuff. It's next level, Lori Vallow yeah. level. Right. Um, and she, this mother, Jennifer, says that they need to stay close to Lou so he can protect them. Hmm. And she's like, can't he just tell them what's up? Right. If he knows the future, why can't he yeah. just tell them that? Yeah. Um, and he's spinning tails all over the place. Like, he's like, hey, you know, I'm this, I'm that. I'm this great, big, huge, amazing spiritual being. And you need to join my commune and we can all live in harmony together. Um, he also says that he's a direct descendant of Geronimo and he can make it rain. He can heal people and he can bring people back to life. So can Chris Johnson, big deal. Pretty much trying to claim he's like Jesus-like. Um, um, and then for those who don't know who Geronimo is, he was an Apache leader and a medicine man. He was um, alive from 1829 to 1909. He was known for fearless resistance to both Mexicans and Americans who tried to remove his people from their land, mm-hmm. which I didn't know that Mexicans were involved in that as well. Um, I actually didn't either. It's, it's interesting, though, but he was chased by a quarter of the U.S. Army at one point Whoa. before he was captured in 1886 and held as a prisoner of war for 20 years. He was also the last of the Native American leaders to formally surrender to the U.S. military. He was attacked by both Mexican and American soldiers. His wife and three kids and mother were all murdered by Mexican soldiers. Mm. He was an incredible figure. Sometimes he was allowed to leave the reservation because he was held as a prisoner of war on a reservation, not in a Mm -hmm. prison necessarily, Mm -hmm. right? He was allowed to go to fairs and Wild West shows where he was displayed as kind of this amazing, mm. which is just disgusting. Yeah. It's some of the stuff that this, the people that ran this country, you know, 100, 200 years ago right. did and was normal part of life back then, but just gross. Yeah. Um, in any case, he died of pneumonia February 1909. It was interesting because he claimed as a religious leader and a medicine man that he had been given a vision that he would not, buy, he would not die by enemy gunfire. And he didn't. Geronimo? Yeah. He died oh, of pneumonia. Wow. He didn't die of, and you would think that, you know, this amazing yeah. um, political leader of the Apache people would have died in a hail of gunfire, but he didn't. He I ended mean, up dying of pneumonia. Yeah. You say somebody was chased by a quarter of the American army. Right. Like, I'm thinking, good luck to you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Back then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you've got thousands and thousands of people chasing this poor guy down. And yeah. he had an incredible past. I mean, number one, his entire family was murdered. Just, mm-hmm. you know, because he was an Apache. Then mm-hmm. he's taken off his land by the U.S. government and thrown into a reservation that he's not allowed to leave unless... And then he became a sideshow. Yeah, unless it's to go to some fair or sideshow to be yeah. displayed like an animal in a zoo, which yeah. is just appalling. Yeah. Um, and then to ultimately die of something like pneumonia, like this strong intelligent amazing political leader dies of pneumonia because he's stuck on some stupid reservation somewhere but good news he came back as lou castro right exactly so so lou castro claims he can see ghosts because he's an angel okay he says he's died several times and Mm -hmm. was currently occupying this body for now okay he had basically convinced everyone, including Sarah, Emily, and their mother, Jennifer, that he is this massively supernatural being. Mm-hmm. Okay? He is manipulating and commanding everyone, and evidently he had these three angel alter egos protecting and watching him. There was Daniel, who was kind and loving and sweet. 
The one who was convicted of the sex crimes? Yeah, probably. Cool. There was Arthur, who was mean and evil. And then there was Amber, who was the angel of death. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. And Amber only appeared when someone was going to die. Of course. This was the evil angel. It's weird how he has control over when they appear. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he claims he can see visions foretelling when people are going to die. That often happens right before you kill somebody. Right, exactly. Um, Emily tells everyone about 2003 when Trish Hughes died in a swimming pool accident. Because it wasn't an accident. Mm. About a week before the death, Lou had this vision about Trish dying, which he probably was like, oh, hey, I think I'm going to kill Trish now. We need some right. more insurance money. So this is what's going to happen. You're going to die. Yeah, <laughs> I saw this vision that you're going to die. Yeah. He told everyone in the commune about the vision of Trish dying and tells Emily not to worry. Trish even agrees to it and is like, I'm going to die. I have to do this for the, the commune. Oh my it's gosh. my time to go. And they're telling Emily, this poor kid who's witnessing this whole thing and who's incorporated in this insurance scam scheme, yeah. that she's going to be involved in it. And don't worry, because it's her time to go. <sighs> Can you imagine how confusing and just appalling and horrifying that would be as a young no. girl? Like, you're like eight, nine years old, and all of a sudden you come and someone's like, oh, hey, this person's going to die. But it's okay, because it's their time to go. Well, and especially, like, if your mom, who is, like, your authority figure, your mentor, you look up to her, is going along with it. Yeah. You have no idea what to think. And Lou is saying, don't worry, because she's going to come back to life. And so he's like, I'm going to keep her in this limbo area. Yeah. And then I'm going to bring her back to life. She's not really dead. I just, I'm keeping her in this limbo area, and then I'm going to bring her back, and she's going to be fine. So no one worry. Uh And they all believe him. They buy it. Hook, line, and sinker. Um, And so Lou pushes Trish into the pool and hells her underwater until she dies. And she's accepting it because she, number one, believes him when he says it's her time to go. And number two, thinks that he's going to bring her back to life. Oh, my God. Because he's this incredible supernatural being. So she's accepting the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. Um, in the meantime, though, Emily was told to wait 20 minutes and then jump into the pool with a the baby. They staged the whole scene. And then she was supposed to tell that story to the police. Wow. So, whew. I guess Emily believed him and he had told her and everyone else that Trish is only in a time warp. She's not really dead. She wasn't even at the pool. Right. He's telling everyone this. She wasn't even at the pool. That was not real. I'm going to bring her back when it's the proper time. And they believe him. And Emily believes him. She's this kid and doesn't really know the truth and doesn't understand that this is a crazy scam. Yeah. And he's, like, telling everyone, hey, I'm going to bring her back when the time is right. So no, don't you worry about it. It seems that Lou had everyone fooled but the police because they now have a case for murder. Yeah. Right? But that wasn't the end, though. Emily had been sharing a bed with Lou since she was 10 years old. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. He told her he was an angel and that angels like him needed a pure little girl to have sex with so they could survive. Oh, my God. Yeah. He was having sex with both Emily and Sarah. He was basically raping them from a very (sighs) young age and telling them that it was normal, and that's what normal people did. This is also very FDLS. Yeah. And Emily had no idea of what was wrong. She knew that it was painful and uncomfortable, and her childhood was basically stolen from her, but she didn't know that that was what yeah. was not supposed to happen and no one explained it to her 
And right. I'm not sure that her mother knew what was going on. Either mother did know what was going on. I mean, that's a very complicated sort of a thing. Because right. in my own personal experience, my sisters, both of them, were molested at a young age by a step-parent. Mm-hmm. And I think they knew it was wrong. And at one point, both of them say they had gone to my mother to tell her this was happening mm-hmm. and that she didn't believe them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was the sort of a situation here. I definitely think that there are circumstances in that manipulative sort of a relationship when you've been gaslighted and coerced yeah. where you believe if, if someone comes to you and tells you something and then you go to the person who it directly relates to and they tell you, oh, no, 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 that never happened. You're, that's right. crazy. Who would say something like that? It's all a bunch of lies. I think that if you're, you've been gaslighted and manipulated and coerced for so many years that you don't know what to believe and you want... Oh, 100%. You only want to believe the best about the people that you love and who care about you as well. Um, yeah. And I think this must have been a very, very um, scary and confusing kind of a situation for the two girls and their mother involved in this. Um, But when Lou slash Daniel slash Joe got engaged and started another family, Emily was moved out of the bedroom. This was at about 12 years of age, but still the abuse continued and both girls were raped and given threats if they didn't Mm -hmm. obey. So basically he was telling them that if they didn't comply with his disgusting perverse actions Mm -hmm. that he would kill their family he would kill their father he was something bad would happen to them they would die that the this demonic angel would come and take them away oh my god and of course they've been so berated with this image and this you know threat for so much time of their young lives that they don't know what's true and what's not and they're seeing people die around them right so they're they have no reason to believe that he's not going to do the same thing to them yeah. And they can't leave. They can't tell anyone. Like, it's just a massive nightmare for both of them. And he's basically saying that there are angels inhabiting his body that are making the threats. It's never him. It's these angels. And all of this abuse was happening when their mother was sleeping or when others were away, because I think that was sort of the defense that mm-hmm. how could this have happened if no one reported it? No one saw this. No one came to the authorities mm-hmm. and said, any of this has happened. You have no way to corroborate this. It's just your word against his kind of a situation, mm-hmm. even though, hey, he'd been convicted for sexual molest. Well, he hadn't been Seriously. convicted. He had cases. Well, he'd been charged. Yes, previously. Um, yeah. And Perez was also ordering Sarah to film young children taking their clothes off in bathrooms. Oh, my gosh. And getting some sort of sick perversion from that. And he was like, at several points, he'd been having her do this. And she had gone in there. And at at points, he had told her to go back and do it again because she wasn't getting enough graphic detail in these filmed sessions with these young children, which is just horrific. Yeah. And he's threatening to kill both their mom and dad. And the two girls are trapped. Like, yeah, I think the circumstance where Sarah finally was able to pull away from that was a massive, massive thing. When Daniel Perez moved the family to Tennessee. So after the two years of fraud where he's in prison, right, were up, Mm -hmm. authorities moved in and rearrested Daniel Perez. And there were a lot of counts. There were 28 counts that they charged him with, including murder, child exploitation, and sexual crimes. Mm. Daniel Perez went to trial in 2015 in Wichita, Kansas, for the Trish Hughes murder. 
because that I think was the only one that they could conclusively prove, right? Mm -hmm. Because even though that there was the plane crash and there was the car accident and all the mm -hmm. other stuff that happened and the car crushing him, they couldn't conclusively prove that those cases were yeah. created and done by Daniel Perez slash yeah. Joe Venegas slash Lou Castro. The only one that they could prove was murder was the one where they had the testimony from Emily saying, mm -hmm. I knew, you know, and she came to me and said she was accepting this death. And even though she had accepted the death, it's one of those sorts of things where they can still create criminal charges for murder because were it not for Daniel's hand holding her yeah. under the water, she would not have died, regardless of whether right. she wanted to die or not, right? Yeah. The jury found him guilty of fraud, child exploitation, and rape in the first degree. Oh, wait, rape and first degree murder. And he got life in prison, 80 years, which is basically life when you're that age. Yeah. Um, and then he'll be eligible for, for parole at some point during this trial. Wow. This was really wild and a super challenging case for the authorities. Both girls testified. And there were four other young female victims that came forward claiming sexual assault and rape. The same mm -hmm. kind of a thing. So basically, this Daniel Perez guy had gone back and forth to, well, he'd gone to different areas of the country. So he'd started in like South Dakota and then he'd moved mm -hmm. down to um, Wichita, Kansas, and then he'd moved over to Tennessee. And he was doing the same kind of a scheme in each one of these locations and collecting life insurance policies in the amount of about 4.2 million is what they figured. Um, and payoffs for money when money in the coffers for the commune was low. Yeah. So as soon as they got under like around $10,000, then it was like time for someone else to die. And so he would oh mysteriously have one of these visions yeah. and decide someone had to go. Can you imagine being part of that commune? Like, that's just bonkers. I can't believe I haven't heard of this. And 15 years, so many victims. He, they, they concluded that it had been about 15 years that this scheme was going on. Right. And that people were dying. Um, Unbelievable. Daniel Perez claimed that all of it was a big mistake slash misunderstanding. He said that everyone was telling lies about him, and he basically had this job of moving money illegally for crime bosses, and that's where he got the money, not from, mm -hmm. not from insurance. And, hey, none of those policies were under my name. I wasn't the beneficiary in any of those policies, so this couldn't have been me. I'm denying yeah, everything. not buying it. He also says it wasn't a commune. There was no cult, just a bunch of people hanging out and having fun consensually, including the eight-year-old, 12-year-old girls. Yeah, that's not a thing. And the children that he was filming. Yeah. Just disgusting. That's not a thing. Yeah. Um, and you see, you can hear him. I think there's a 2020 episode that talks about it as well. And you can hear him kind of talking. And he just sounds so, like, lackadaisical and just like, no, hey, I didn't have a commune. I don't know what you're talking about. Because they interview him Ugh. from prison. Gross. And he's like... I didn't abuse any of those people. I didn't do any of that. They're just lying and accusing me of all these bad things. And it's like, he's, you can hear, I think it's um, Keith Morrison is interviewing him and he's like, you know, Keith Morrison. I love Keith Morrison. He's like, well, why would they lie about that? And he's like, I, right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They just want to set me up. I don't know. There's what no angel. Monster. There's no demons. None of that happened. I don't know what you're talking about. This is crazy. It's crazy talk. <laughs> and you just, you listen to it and like, I would highly encourage people. I think they call it angels and demons or something like that. The episode is called, but like, I would highly encourage people to go, um, look up that episode and listen to, cause like they have sound bites from all the people oh, involved in this case. And you're just like, huh? 
What? What is this? This is so bonkers. They have sound bites from the daughters. They have sound bites from Cody, the the son of the woman yeah. Mona who died. They have sound bites from Daniel. They have, yeah, it's just crazy. Um. So ultimately, Sarah and Daniel got married. The other Daniel, Sarah, and the boyfriend that right. she met when she escaped the commune, and they have right. um, three kids, and they stayed in Wichita, which okay seems pretty traumatic. Like if you're part of this cult that's in Wichita, Kansas, you'd think you'd want to get as far away from that as possible, but good for her. Kudos that she was able to heal and have a normal relationship. Um, Emily got married as well and had two kids. They all have normal lives now. They're just trying to help other survivors, survivors of like cults and sexual abuse and things like that. Um, I know that when you suffer through something like that, um, the temptation can be to just bury your head in the sand and to withdraw and not really want to be a part of normal society anymore. But these girls have have probably had a lot of counseling and just want to help other people that have suffered through similar kinds of abuses. And it's pretty amazing that they're out there trying to make an influence and trying to make things better for people that are suffering in the way that they did. But it's pretty bonkers. Like, absolutely. And like, I mean, there are of course there are people that do just retreat within themselves. And I mean, I can't blame them. Like, you know what I mean? Like I want everybody to be like, have a healthy recovery, but like what that looks like is going to be different for everybody. Right. So like, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. This guy's a complete monster. Yeah. Um, I think that in some instances too, that the authorities kind of drop the ball on this one to just, yeah. Write somebody off as dead yeah and for like that kind of crime this isn't like he robbed a gas station but that was the 90s and i think that it was really when the the sexual crimes were initiated in the first place that was the 90s and i think that it was 60s 70s 80s and 90s where people i think had a very hard time believing and knowing what to do with sexual crimes with you right right and i know that in my own personal circumstance uh, with my sisters, um, nothing was ever done. It was one yeah. of those things that was like shameful and yeah, there was no prosecution. There was no going to the authorities. There was no, um, reporting. There was none of that. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you know, when I was young being taken into a counselor's office to talk to counselors, but at no point did anyone report anything to the authorities. And I can imagine that Maybe this was kind of the situation like that, too. Right. Like, and, and entirely possible. And we've made progress, but there's still a lot of victim blaming. And there's, I mean, so much victim blaming back then. And I think one of the strongest arguments in this case that people kept saying is, well, why didn't they just leave? Why didn't they How? just leave? <laughs> Number one, I think they'd all been manipulated and coerced yeah. so dramatically and so significantly that I don't think that a lot of these people knew anything wrong was going on. They had been so convinced by this charismatic, manipulative cult leader that they didn't have any idea that what was going on was insane. Right. So, I mean, that's number one. And then number two, like how are, these are young girls. What what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? They don't have money. They don't have a life outside of the economy. And it kind of sounds like, like this they the individual people at this company were not in charge of their own finances like it doesn't sound like they had just the ability to just like pick up i mean 
it's weird because the money was not in Lou's name. He had bank accounts and everyone else had their names on those bank accounts. And he was right, kind of controlling them like a puppet master behind the scenes. Yeah, it's not like they could go and take that money out. Like he was manipulating them and controlling them. Well, I think they, they could. They did not have free will to I do think that. they could do that. But they, le- they could. Like, he they was were telling the paperwork, them like, that if they did things that he didn't approve of, that this angel of death would come get them. Yeah. Socially, yeah. they were not like, it was not within their capability to go do that yeah yeah just wild i always find cult cases particularly interesting because we're now hearing so many of them yeah and that's crazy i I cannot believe i've not heard of this it really makes me wonder like how do people get themselves involved in that first of all and second of all how do Mm -hmm. they believe that mumbo jumbo it just seems so wild yeah i don't really know i mean i think I kind of tend to think it's like people are very, very badly looking for an answer. And they, they they are targeted at a point in their lives where they're susceptible to that. I don't necessarily think that, like, it's a type of person that's susceptible to that. I think there's probably, like, moments in everybody's life. I think there are types of people that are susceptible to that. And I think that these people, these charismatic cult leaders, know how to find those people. And that's why yeah, they I mean, get I people to convince. Target people, like, this is a weak person. When to this is a person that's been abused. This is, and that's, yeah. you know, abusers know how to find the people yeah. that they can manipulate the, the, the yeah. easiest, right? Yeah. They can sense it. They can smell it. They can find it. And they're going to yeah. search those people out. They're not going to go search for people like you and me who are going to tell them, hey, dude, F off. Like, I'm not going to be part of your stupid, crazy, insane scheme. They know that. And so they'll look yeah, for the ones I mean, that are weak. They'll go for that weak leak in the fence, not right. the stronger person. Yeah. And Although you read some of these stories and you hear these interviews with these people and you think, what? And how did you go for this? You sound like a normal, you know, That's average kind of why I person. think there's like, there's a little bit of, of moments like in everybody's life where like, if you get them at the right moment, maybe, I don't know. And it's easier I don't know. to manipulate them. I, I don't know. It's crazy case in any case unless you have anything else to add we'll go ahead and wrap the episode up for today i don't a little bit of a short one but um darce isn't feeling too hot and we just want to let her have a little rest and recovery time um thank you everyone for tuning into this episode today if you have any questions comments or concerns you can shoot us an email we're at the bfd podcast at gmail.com we would ask that you please rate review and subscribe or shoot us an email if you have questions we definitely like talking to people and interacting with them Um, And the rate, review, and subscribe portion is helpful, too. It allows us to kind of become available to people who may be seeking out certain content that we put out there. Um, And it helps us as well to kind of determine what the customer what the viewers and the listeners like. And and so we can provide more of that kind of content in the future. But uh, social media, Darcy? Yeah, we're on Instagram at the BFD podcast. So we'll post pictures of this crazy commune in the sky and all that stuff and show notes and you can um, follow us and like us there too. If you see pictures of this guy and I'll try to post a picture. I, I apologize. I have been lax about this. I have been just swamped at work. So I haven't really posted a lot of pictures on Instagram. Mm-hmm. My bad. I'm acknowledging that right up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I have just had a lot of other priorities that have taken my time away from that. But if you see pictures of this guy, he's not very attractive and you look at it and you're like, how did this guy? <laughs> yeah, just had he had something. I mean, because if you look at pictures of like Jim Jones and some of the other like more commonly known cult leaders, then you can you hear him speak and you listen to them and you look at them and you think, okay, I could see how people could get behind this. But if you see yeah. hear this guy speak and see him, like you think, no. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know that Marshall White is somebody I would find like engaging, but. 
Yeah. Marshall Applewhite. Yeah, that guy. Ooh, that was like, weird. I don't know, but... <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, for some people. So anyway, um, I'll try to post some pictures of that when I get the best chance going forward. Um, I apologize if I don't get to it super quickly after the episode is posted, but I'll try to post it at some point. And um, please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. Keep it real and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. (laughs) 